A big warm welcome to you for episode 162 of the Dawson D Show. It's great to have your company. If you're new here, make sure you hit that subscribe or follow button so you never miss an exciting new episode. Today we're in for a fun one. Our guest today is a singer, songwriter, performer and one of the smoothest movers you'll see. He's coming off hot after the success of his latest album Hurricane and is one of the original members of the ultra-successful children's entertainment group High Five. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Nathan Foley. For all those who grew up with and were fans of High Five, you will not be disappointed as Nathan shared a lot of awesome backstage stories from the days in the group. From how he got casted to the unpredictability of the children in the live audience, we got a wide range of stories. He shared the famous High Five song he wrote that he's most proud of, the crazy schedule they lived and even how they got paid. But we went far deeper than just High Five. Nathan shared the bullying he received while growing up with the love of performing and the frustration he once encountered as he felt he wasn't taken serious as a musician with the attachment to being in a children's group. Plus, we talked about the artists that have inspired him the most, his songwriting process, his latest album and even touring. Nathan is both humble and incredibly nice while not being afraid to speak his mind and we can't thank him enough for sharing some time with us. Now, if you love this episode, guys, make sure you check out the interviews we've done with the original Yellow Wiggle, Greg Page, winner of The Voice, Lockie Gill, West End star Ryan Hutton, and rock star Yolanda Charles. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with the talented Nathan Foley. Well, Dave, we've got a singer, a songwriter, a smooth mover. And probably one of our favourite childhood entertainers with us today, Nathan Foley. Welcome to the Dawson D Show. G'day, fellas. How are you? Oh, mate, we're not as good as you. We're very excited for this for this interview. And I think a good place to start is, firstly, a big congratulations on the success of Strut, telling you off air. We used to live together, Doss and I. And that was a uh, frequently played song in the Dawson D household. And I promise you, no bullshit. We, uh, we loved it. Still do. <laughs> but 500,000 thereabouts on uh, YouTube, smashing it. Oh sweet! I don't. I've never looked. Yeah, yeah, that's what I always say. <laughs> no, I don't, man. Like I was, I was talking to someone earlier. I was just like, um, I don't, I don't do the social media thing all the time. Like it's, you know, I, I jump on now and again to post something if I want to, but then I just leave it there. I don't, uh, I don't invest my time. I think I'm just a different generation. You know, I was just, I was talking to, I was, I was doing an interview earlier today, and they're saying, you know, back when you were doing the high five thing, there was no social media. There was nothing like there was no one just looking, you know, breathing on your back through a, through a computer or a telephone. So yeah. And I said, I love that. I love that. But yeah, no, I just, I just don't do it. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't go on. I should, shouldn't I? But I just, yeah. Got well, too much to bloody do. Well, it's the best way to promote, promote the brand. I get it. So yeah, I haven't had a look, but that's awesome. There's some awesome views there, but um, yeah, I'm happy, happy about that. Uh, mate, like they said, we're the one that gets us moving. But, mate, thank you so much for taking the time to, to jump on with us today. Ah, oh, pleasure, fellas. Go Very back good. to the start. I mean, we'd love to know what you wanted to do when you were younger because, you know, your life trajectory has ended up where it is and you end up being in one of the probably the biggest Australian, you know, childhood entertainment kind of bands. But what did you want to do when you were first starting out? I never really had a plan. Um, I, I I knew I knew what I wanted to do when I was five. I knew that I wanted to be a singer. I started singing along to all different kinds of music back then. And then by the time I was ten, I was doing professional gigs, working with bands, orchestras. I had a boy soprano. Um, listening to a lot of you know Michael Jackson and John Farnham and those guys. So I knew what I wanted to do when I was a kid. And then obviously through high school, primary school and high school, I was working and doing gigs and doing shows um, with bands. And then High Five came up when I was about eighteen or nineteen um that lasted for 10 years of my life went into theater i've never actually had 
a clear goal of I want to do this, I want to do that. I just wanted to do what made me happy. I didn't do this for fame. I, I think anybody can be famous these days. You can end up on the front page news or end up on, especially with social media, any person that all can be famous for having no talent whatsoever, which, you know, pisses me off because, you know, it's a different industry these days um, with all these reality shows as well. But my my goal was just to be happy, get out there and do what I love, love what I do. And um, if I can gain any respect through that and 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 find something that I was passionate about that I enjoyed, then that was the winning sort of ingredient to life. So yeah, I just didn't have a plan, didn't have a goal, just knew that I loved to sing, loved to dance, loved to perform, loved to write. That was um, that I'd always be winning if I was on that uh, on that sort of uh, path. That's awesome. That's awesome. You mentioned uh, Michael Jackson and John Farnham. Were they your main influences, or who were musically? Oh, dude, like I, there's, there's been. I'm, I'm like I'm in my office right now. What you're seeing here is the neat part. Um, <laughs> yeah, because all the renovations I'm doing at the moment, it's just like it's messy as hell. But on my wall here, I've got like in excess. I've got Elvis, Stevie Wonder, Brian McKnight, Nat King Cole, Jackie Wilson, The Beatles, John Farnham, ACDC, Chris Stapleton, uh, Mark Broussard, Little Richard, Sammy Davis Jr. Terence Trent Darby, Luther Vandross, you know, I've got a plethora of Don Hathaway, you know, I've got a plethora of different artists on there, which you most of them you probably wouldn't even know who they are. Um, but you know, these guys had a big influence on me vocally and as as entertainers. Um, so I tended to always look up to people that I could learn from, that I could grow from as an artist. And even now, like this year for me, um, being 33 years in the industry, but I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I'm still want to improve myself as a singer, as an entertainer. I don't think anyone's ever going to get there and be perfect or be you know, the best ever. You know, they've always got something to learn and grow. And I think if I think if you stop learning and growing, that's when you get to start going downhill. You know. Yeah. So the big break. So you obviously you're on, you're on stage, like you said, you've been in music in that industry since you were five. Yeah. It's through a big break, and I guess what were you doing? That led to the opportunity with High Five. How did it all come about? Um, well, I was uh, I was in a program called the Talent Development Project, which is a two day a month seminar for the year eleven and twelve students, mainly for the public school system. Because I went to Newtown Performing Arts High School, and I was there, you know, from year eight to year twelve. So that was a public school. It concentrated on the arts, but also much more about the education. Because I went to a high school in year seven, um, which was bloody awful like i was taunted picked on every single day because of i had a love for entertainment and singing and and all that so picked on every day I, you know i need to go to a school that's going to accept males in particular because we're talking like in the 90s here where it wasn't understood like a male, what do they mean a male that sings and a male that gets out there and dances and entertains like that's just that's just forbidden that's just wrong so went to down and I uh, got to concentrate on my studies. I didn't particularly go there to learn the arts. I didn't. I was already established as a singer and, and, and dancer when I went there, but I just wanted to be around like-minded people that had the same vision, the same thing of, of having a love for being in the entertainment industry. So the Talent Development Project came up through the education department uh, where different people come in that have been in the industry for years and they watch you do a couple of songs in front of them, give you a couple of pointers. It's kind of like the voice, but not. It was This is legit. This was raw. Was uh, wasn't all color coded. Anyway, I graduated from that after two years, and then they a year later they called me and said, "Look, there's some auditions happening at the ABC studios for a kid group." And obviously, this is before any network bought the concept. That is, it was an audition for a pilot. Went in there, did the show. They put us us five together as a combination, and that was it. The rest was history. We did the pilot, and then Channel Nine bought it, and that lasted for ten years. So. 
that's pretty much me babbling on about the beginning part. <laughs> well, that that's awesome, and we can't wait to dive in a bit further. So you guys did not know each other because there's rumors always circling on the internet of how it all forms. Um, mm. We mentioned to you we, we had a chat to Greg from the Wiggles a couple of years ago now, and they were obviously they came together and through a bit of mateship and old teachers at uni. But for you guys, you did not know each other. I knew Kathleen actually. Um, okay, I uh, I did a gig with Kathleen when I was twelve. She was, I think she was, she was fifteen, fourteen or fifteen. I was twelve. We did a Christmas show concert at a at a shopping center when we were kids. <laughs> so I saw her at the audition. I'm like, oh my, Kathleen, because I saw her around, and you know, I always loved Kathleen's voice. You know, we were the singers a lot doing 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 the work and stuff out there. So when I saw her. Uh, she was 22 at the time. I was 19 or something, 18 or 19. I was like, oh, cool. But I didn't know the other guys. Uh, obviously, I knew, I've seen Kelly when she was doing the Teen Queens and stuff like that in the, in the 90s in the girl group. And I'm like, oh, okay, I knew her as well. But uh, didn't know Tim or uh, Charlie um, at the time. So I'd love to touch on what you just mentioned before about the, like the guy in the 90s, the guys. When did that change, do you think, for young men in particular? to be in, in the entertainment industry dancing like you said like it's i don't think it ever will mate i think there's still a lot of bullying out there getting worse and worse i then i heard recently a lot of parents are homeschooling their kids now because the bullying is just ridiculous it's not letting them concentrate on learning and growing as as kids to adulthood but i think that people in general even comes to anything racism you know sexism it comes to anything people are not going to if they don't understand it and it's not them, and they've been brought up the way they have or told this and that, they're not going to be very accepting of anybody. So back in the 90s, a male performer, you know, and I'm not I'm not homophobic whatsoever. I've got so many homosexual friends and gay friends, whatever, in the industry. That's just the industry we live in. But I used to get picked on every day. Oh, you're gay, you're a poof, you're this, you're that, you're that. I'm like, well, no, I'm not. But just because I'm a singer and dancer doesn't mean that I am. You're typecasting me in this sort of thing. This is what I do. This is my passion. But that was their way of communicating because they didn't understand it. You know, put, putting someone down for what they love and what they do just because they're the sport and I'm not into their sport doesn't mean that I don't have a passion for something. I didn't put them down for what they did, you know, but that's just bullying. Every kid is going to get something different. Every, every kid that's, you know, everyone gets bullied and now it comes down to social bullying. It comes down to these, you know, what do they call them? These guys. People warriors. Yeah. They're out there picking on people online because it's just easy for them to do, you know, because good news isn't good news for people. People don't want to hear good stories anymore. No, people, no. people, want, people want the guts of it. They want the, the grits. They want the gore. They want the hate. You know, they want the blood and guts. They just want that on, on news these days. You know, it's just like you get just caught in a traffic jam on a bloody freeway when someone has an accident and you get up there, the road's been cleared, but people are just stopping to have a look. You yeah. Know? There's a story about a cat being lost up a tree. No one gives a shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So high school and even you know primary school is not as bad but a high school early years it's really hard to become an adult getting into the stage and and being appreciated and respected for what you want to do so in answer to your question um yeah i don't think it's ever going to go away i think it's, it's there's always going to be bullying and it's always going to be hard for people that are striving to to uh achieve their goals but you know what in a way use it yeah use no, that. Well said. you'll get strength you'll get strength through people telling you you can't do it some people will will fail some people will falter but just go well look i must be doing something right if they're picking on me about it 
You know what I mean? Hundred percent, hundred percent, hundred percent. That's a common theme with uh, with a lot of our guests on this show. To, not to bully you here, Nathan, um, but I, I just went down. Uh, <laughs> I went down a, uh, an, a a rabbit hole this afternoon. High five on uh, on on YouTube, and gee, yeah. the memories just start flooding back when you just and you can go down there for hours because it's you know we grew up with it. And you talk about the nineties, and I saw the fashion that you and Tim in particular as as men were were rocking. How do you kind of feel about that looking back now at some of the you know the flared jeans and these are uh, really tight kind of fluoro. Um, oh, singers. are you talking about, are you talking about in public or on the show? <laughs> <laughs> on the show, on the show, on the show. Oh, okay. Oh man, we didn't get to choose our clothes. Um, they, um, they gave us the clothes to wear. So, but look, you know, it was, it was part and parcel of the nineties. I mean, back then you're looking like you've got Spice Girls and S Club 7 and all these, these pop groups, these nineties dance groups it was all about fluoro. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, that's just the way it was back then. But yeah, I look back and I go, oh, that was just part of an era, but everything always comes back. You know? That's right. It's very nostalgic. And it, and it looks yeah. good. Well, I didn't have it in my wardrobe. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I just had, you know, most of the clothes I wore out, out of high five, black, black tee, black jeans, denim jacket or a leather jacket or something. I just, you know, I never, I never wore fluoros in public unless I had to for the show. So <laughs> love it. Being be like a songwriter in your own right. Did you guys, I know you are owned by Sage Nine. did you guys have anything to do with writing the, the songs for High Five? Yeah, we had opportunities. Um, obviously, the music was written by Chris Harriet, who's an absolute genius, but we were given opportunities to write lyrics for as many songs as we wanted. Um, obviously, we were filming four months of the year, 16 to 18 hours a day, and then touring seven months of the year around the world. So it was very, very difficult to have the time or energy to sit down and write. But I wrote a few songs. I wrote um, uh, the one I'm really proud of was off the – one of the biggest high five albums ever was the the Christmas album, the very first Christmas album. I wrote a song called Groovy Christmas. Yeah, good yes. song. Uh, yes, which I, I I sing that song too. So I was um I was really happy with that one. Had a really good rock and roll kind of feel to it. But yeah, we had opportunities all the time, which was great to be to have that creative creative sense. And we even got that um, when we were on set. Like even though we had that many scripts a week, we were being ourselves. Obviously, a a, a high you know a heightened version of ourselves, but we were able to be creative with our own segments as well, and 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 um, give our give our input, which was which was awesome. In in terms of that, Nathan, because it's it's very different to to most bands where you kind of form yourselves and then you go out get your record label, whatever. Where you guys have kind of been thrust together or picked or chosen or the way it was for you guys. Are you basically an employee to either Channel Nine or or the show of High Five or? Like financially, where where does it kind of draw the line? Do you guys get royalties for your music or is it all to Channel 9? Do you just get paid a wage? How does it actually work when you're thrust together like that? Yeah, it's funny because I, I got asked that question earlier. Um, the, the fact of the matter is we were on a wage. Like we weren't yeah. – it's nothing like the Wiggles had. Like the Wiggles created there. They came up from being the cockroaches and went into being a, a, a kid's band. So they they created, created and owned their own product. With us, we auditioned for a show you know, a TV show. So obviously we didn't have, didn't own the show. We didn't create the show. We didn't produce the show. We were employees of the brand and optional nine. So obviously we were on a wave. Um, so it was a very vastly different thing. And I was, uh, a lot of the time during those uh, 10 years, even today, people think, oh, you're, you're, geez, you're loaded, you're rich. They, they, they have this concept of people that are on TV that they're rich or they're loaded. And it's just like, no, not the Wiggles. I mean, the Wiggles are doing fantastically, but there's a big pie. There was, you know, there was there was Roadshow, there was Sony, there was Channel Nine, and there was the producers. It was this massive touring company. Everyone takes a cut, and then we got, you know, 
was left over at the end, which is nothing to complain about. It was, you know, I, it's funny thing is I never thought about money back then. I was a teenager in my twenties. I just, I was just happy to have a job, but they looked after us. They did, you know, uh, we were on a good, good wage, um, but that wage stops after you finish, you know what I mean? So, but people always had that perception that we were millionaires. You know, I think I, someone, a mate of mine Googled me, my net, um, was it my pay the other day or what I'm worth? It was like millions of dollars. I just pissed myself laughing. I'm like, ah, that's why I still got a mortgage. Hey, (laughs) it's like, get stuffed. It's like, it's just so funny what, what the world perceives you as when you're, when you're on TV, but, um, it's all bullshit. What did the week to week look like for you guys? I mean, for 10 years of your life, you did it and probably from when you were 19 to I mean, 20, uh, 19 to 28. So it was, it was 10 years. Obviously, yeah. I, I was too, didn't, you know, later in the year, my birthday was, but our oh, day to day was different. You know, obviously filming, we'll, we filmed for two and a half days a week and, re- and re- so oh, there's your puppies coming in. Hello. Oh, that's Noodle. <laughs> noodle. <laughs> yeah, Noodle. <laughs> hey, Noodle. <laughs> Is Noodle Glass me a question? <laughs> <laughs> Nodding his head. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Yeah. So I, I forgot what the bloody question was now. Oh, the day, day to day. Yes. Um. Yeah. Just differently. Filming was very vastly different. Uh, filming was physically and mentally draining, but touring was physically draining. Nearly ended up in hospital a couple of times just from exhaustion. Huh. But you know, it was just it was, it was a long time. But you know, I'm I'm appreciative of it now. I, I'm really glad I got to push myself physically and really it's paid off for me today even with my solo shows and getting out there and you know doing my own productions and things like that that i've got the energy still uh, in my you know in my early 40s where i can just go bang you know out there and just still do what i can do it was good times man good times <laughs> you, you talk about and that's a crazy schedule by the way but those two and a half days of filming also there's a big component to it is of course the the kids in the audience and to me that just that's you know spells unpredictability like who knows what can happen was there ever any incidents during those days where something might happen within the audience or something could go to go wrong or not to plan because of that live aspect oh i think the uh, i think the panel pulled something at once on channel 10 um which i didn't i didn't see later but yeah and i didn't even know like kids as i said i've got a three and a half year old now so i know i didn't really realize back then because we didn't look after the kids we sang to them we didn't yeah. take them home and change their nappies or <laughs> calm them down to sleep but now i know what that's all about but there was this one thing on the panel with this kid. They they zoomed on this kid came up during a live thing and went and just went whack right in the nuts. And I was like, I'm like, and I'm st- I'm doing LOV and I was like, like I got that. I, I sort of squint like that, but then I just keep going. I was like, oh, it's a, it's a kid, you know. He's he's, you know, he's just gone up for a kick. And I know because my son does the same to me. Just, just he's he's rough and ready, but it's just funny that I saw that on they they pointed it out and took the piss out of me. I'm like, yeah. That's cool. That's pretty funny. <laughs> so there's unpredictable things that happen, and you know, falling over on stage, and but that's what makes it fun. You know, everything was so straight and same thing every day. Then it's going to just get boring. Mm. Yeah, sure. And well, you mentioned the, the Christmas album and you writing Groovy Christmas. Like yeah. for us, I remember us as a family. I reckon it would have been like five or six years in a row. The the carols were candlelight, but the rehearsal the day before. Yeah. We would go every year and us three kids were just, you know, front and centre watching you guys and we loved it. And I think I think you might have played the same song because it's rehearsal over and oh, over. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because cameras, the cameras, they wanted us to, they wanted to get their all camera, get all their camera shots ready and stuff like that. So we're like, oh, come on, we've bloody done it already. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> but no, they were good. We loved the Melbourne Carols. That was, that was really good times. 
Yeah. In terms of um, maybe behind the scenes of on, on set, who was there any ever instances of, of maybe something would have to shift because there was one person that just couldn't get it right for whatever reason, whether it's a choreography or, or there was someone that was struggling a little bit throughout and you had to change old plans for everything? Was there ever those instances that you can remember? Uh, not not when it got to filming. Uh, I think maybe rehearsals now and again. Um, you know, we're just we're trying to tweak things because everyone had different strengths in High Five, obviously. Um, uh, Tim didn't come from a dancing background. He, you know, grew up with folk music with his family and stuff like that. So um, he, the dancing side of things were a bit uncoordinated for Tim at the beginning. So we worked, it was more like a lot of working on getting him comfortable in, within his own skin back then. But then after a while, he got more comfortable and, and, and competent with, within that. But, you know, that's that's part and parcel of what the show was all about. We, you know, none of us were ever really perfect, but we are just being ourselves and doing what we do so yeah not when it got to filming but i think during rehearsals yeah sometimes we had to just tweak a few things here and simplify things and i remember being told nathan you got to pull back pull back from your energy you got too much energy pull back and it's like no stuff that i'm gonna do what i do you know? <laughs> so i was just that's why i've always been and yeah oh, you know, kids entertain you got so much energy it's like no that's that's actually me off screen like i'm you know full of beans i always have been it's always a drugs. No, I don't take drugs. It's not just it. <laughs> so Nathan's drink. Nathan takes drugs. I mean, no, never taken a drug in my life. And just, you know, just I've always had had energy since I was born. That's so interesting. Were you working on your own stuff like out of hours? Like, is that transition? I mean, like you look at it in other careers, um, whether it's sport as an example, at the moment, you know, a, a lot of these big professional organizations are helping these athletes transition. For you guys, was it? I'm assuming it might not have been that way. Like, were you working on your own stuff for afterwards? Uh, we didn't really have the time. You know, it was funny because I was at a bit of a crossroads when it went with High Five because I, I was already working professionally for eight years um, before that show came up. So I was sort of establishing myself as the singer songwriter back then. And when I signed the contract in '99, I got an offer to support Shania Twain, only wow. 18 or 19 at the time. Um, through Jacobson Productions. And now these are the guys that brought the Beatles and brought Michael Jackson out and stuff in, you know, the 80s and 90s and stuff like that. So I'm like, oh, gee, that's a good offer. I took it back to High Five and they went, no, I can't do it. Mm. So it's it's competing with our our schedule. And I was bummed because it's like, geez, that, that, I think back now it could have been an, a, a different pathway for me to go down and different kind of life. But at the same time, I had such a good life and journey with High Five but there's always there's going to be these crossroads in our life. You you either got to pick one or the other. But this, the the decision was made for me, I guess, back then. Mm. But uh, yeah, there's always going to be uh, you know do's and don'ts. You know what I mean with these things. But you just got to go with it and uh, try not to have any regrets. Yeah. Well, during that time period, I know you said you're very busy, but during those nine years and, and even the other members of High Five, was there ever that pull, you know, from from another source to go in and try something different, maybe outside of children's entertainment? And if so, you know, how, did, how are those conversations had within the group? I think the biggest thing, I mean, High Five was such a positive thing in my life, but at the same time, it was a curse, you know, because obviously I was very established as a soloist, but once high five start hitting the screens every single day people and in a way not everyone but a majority of a lot of people didn't take me seriously you know mm-hmm. what i mean so they're like oh he's a kid's entertainer like no i'm not I, even when i was doing high five i know i never saw high five as a kid show to me i was just being me in a kid show yeah so it was kind of one of those things so 
the offers didn't really come in. I had record labels approaching me. That was about it. But when it comes to live performance and things like that, they're going, oh, but you wear colors and you do kids songs. Do you, do you? I had a lot of people going, oh, I did a few, I did gig during that time by myself, but they're like, oh, can I bring my kids? I'm like, no, it's, it's an, it's an over 18 event. So is it kids songs? Like, no. Hence the reason why it's an 18 over event. I'm doing something like that, but they didn't get it. It wasn't yeah. one of those things. So opportunities were coming in, but the seriousness of belief that I could do anything other than high five was, was hard to fathom for a lot of people. They're like, they didn't, they didn't understand it. Even though I was singing my chops off during the show and doing lots of things like that, just it just didn't. It's like that they've already set me in a box and went. That's that's where you got to stay. You like you said, you, John Barnum was one of them. Did you watch mm. that documentary recently? I did, and you know, without sounding weird, I did weep. To be honest with you, I watched it, and you know, John Farnham's you know way further advanced than me, and got this massive. I'm a baritone. He's in this incredible tenor voice, but. I did see similarities within our life and I was just like, shit, you know, him doing Sadie, the cleaning lady was my high five and him doing this was this, you know, him going to do this was his, his drawback and not being taken seriously as my thing as well. So I was like, damn, like I, I had, I, I just saw so many similarities within our, our journeys, even though he's on a much bigger plethora than I am with his career, but it was kind of like, damn, like, it did make spark a lot of emotions. And my parents went and saw it as well. They saw it before me and they came out just crying. They said, oh, my God, we just saw your story in <laughs> in some form yeah. of capacity. I'm like, oh, my God, yes. But, you know, as I said, I, I try not to have any regrets. And I, I, I don't and I never got into this industry for fame. I never got into this, in this industry to be a millionaire. I just got into to this industry because I love what I do. I, I, I love being on stage. I love writing. I love singing. I love getting out there. And you guys will realize this one day, whether you already have one, I'm not sure. But if once you have a family, you, have, uh, you know, you know, a wife or a husband, I don't know what your what road you did to take. But you know, once you have someone to love and you have a child to love yourself, it doesn't. It's not about you anymore. Mm. And even though back then I didn't have that fame or fortune thing in my brain, even more so now having a family, it's not even about that. It's about still carrying on enjoying the passion that I have for music and looking after my family. So that's, that's pretty much it for me. No, it's awesome, Nathan. And I mean, it, I know we don't want to harp too much on high five too, but it's actually really interesting to hear you talk about this. Was there ever like, even the years after you left high five and obviously they, they, they move on as, as a group, were you frustrated when you were known as that guy? Like how long did it take to kind of almost, you wanted to break out of your shell almost and, and be known for the next chapter or whatever you're doing next? Uh, I had my moments. I think after that, I think just after it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was a struggle, but it was like, okay, come on guys, this is getting ridiculous now until I eventually went, you know what? Just own it. Who gives a shit? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, I'm proud of that part of life and proud of being in high five. It was a massive thing. And as, as once again, it wasn't about fame or fortune for me, but now I think I realize it even more because of guys like yourself in their 20s and stuff like that going, that show meant something to me. That show helped me through the, this, these certain things or, you know, it made a difference in the lives of your generation. And that is the biggest thing ever that you can hear as an achievement, you know, having a whole generation of people coming, hey, man, I love that show back in the day. That meant so much to me. That got me through this or that. Now that is, that to me is success. 
you know, make making a difference in someone's lives, especially now, man. I mean, come on, mental illness is getting worse. It's getting horrible for people out there. And that's the reason why I wrote Hurricane for my album, mm-hmm. you know, that was about mental illness because I've been surrounded by people that have had struggles and uh, lost lost friends and and people that I that I was very close to me through mental illness. So you just got to be happy with the skin you're in and do what you love, love what you do and stop trying to chase the, you know, the, the impossible, you know, just be happy with who you are and the skin that you're in and do what you love to do. Don't be told that you need to do this. Don't be told you need to do that. You know, I think it comes down to the person. I think a key element of that too, Nathan, though, is now like we had you and, and, and your and, and high five for us growing up, but there was no social media then. Whereas now, thank God for that. You know, yeah. <laughs> but now, like you said, like try and be content, be happy. It's so difficult for so many people well, to do too, that. It's too much pressure because people believe in the hype. Yeah. As I said earlier, like all these reality shows that are coming out, people are being famous for doing stuff all. They're being famous for sleeping with the wrong person. They're being famous for doing, you know, flashing this, flashing that, saying the wrong thing, being rude. You know what I mean? It's just like the world's changing. I don't know. I'm, I'm afraid for my son. I really am because I'm like, geez, is is the world going to go back to the, the the time when you know people were appreciated for talent, appreciated for goodwill, appreciated for the, the love they give someone or, or or the way they treat somebody else? But you just never know. Like, there's just so much pressure on people these days to be successful and to be popular. Who gives a shit, honestly? Who cares? Just be you. Be happy. Be simple. Like I just, I just come back from a few days away. My wife and my son. We spent three days away on uh, a friend's farm. We were doing stuff all. We were, you know, yeah. trying to catch yabbies and cooking over an open fire. You know, you know, doing stuff like that. I'm like, you know what? This is life. This is it. This is this is good. It doesn't have to be going out and spending up fortune on thing or trying to impress somebody else. The, the 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 day that you're thinking that you know have to impress other people is the time you need to start changing your mind frame because if you're happy, that's all that matters. Do Do you think that's the mindset for a lot of people in in your industry? Because I would, on the outside looking in, I'd guess that that would be one industry where it's, there is a lot of comparison, and there's a, a lot of pressure, and there's a lot of I want to get to a certain place, and probably a lot of people do fall short of that. Mm. Do you think that's probably an issue within the music industry? It's that it's that whole false perception of what success is. Mm. I mean, what what do you class personally? What do you class as success to you guys? I I think because I say it somewhere all the time. We both have a have our own business together. I'd rather earn if it's sixty grand a year, but I'm working for myself and can be flexible and freedom to be happy. That's success to me. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Well, that that's something we yeah we talk about a lot because, like Dos said, we've now in the last six months or more nine months now we've started our own business and since doing this show we've had there's ways to measure success or growth you see spikes and you see trends things go up things go down we've we've had our moments where we like you said we've been on the in newspapers for for the wrong reasons we've copped you know we've copped our fair share and we've had our highs and had our lows which is great but the industry we're in too is we're always comparing because we we're you know essentially we we talk to a lot of other content creators a lot of other podcasters we're up they're up we go down, they go down, like, and it's it's really tough. But I think we said to each other the other day, we're like, gee, if you if we look back three years ago, where we we're working jobs we weren't happy with, we had a bit of an idea that we want to do something on our own, and now we get to sit here and chat to you and and the likes of people that we've 
always admired or looked up to, we we have to stop and smell the roses sometimes and say, this mm. is this is it. This is why we started. Like, you know, we are starting to make money doing it. You know, we're not millionaires, but we're, we're staying afloat and mm. we're doing it on our terms. So, but it's been a slow realization and maybe not even, we're probably not even fully there yet. Oh, well, you know what? With 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 time, the, the, the more you live, the, the, the years ahead of you, you'll realize that even more. You know, more is not more. Mm. It really, it really isn't, you know. So your success is success is health as well. You know, success is having a roof over your head. Success is having some food on the table. And you know what? There's a lot of people that don't even have that. You know, there's a lot of people that are worse off than all of us. So you just gotta, as you said, smell the roses, appreciate it. You know, it just comes down to being happy. Keep it simple because the things that are come to that will come to you that are more than what you ask for are going to be this most amazing gift that you'll ever receive ever. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's just like, to me, it's about respecting the industry. To me, it's about having someone go, you know what? The song on your album made me feel this or it made me feel this for this person or it made me get through my day. Those words that you said made me get through. I was, I was feeling really crap about my day, but it made me feel this. That's success. It's not about album sales. It's not about this. It's not about that. It's not about being recognized down the street. That means that's bullshit. Anybody can be found. You can murder someone down the street and end up on the front page news. It doesn't mean yeah. that person's special. I mean, you know, it's just it just blows my mind. And it's and you can't really tell it to people. You can you can talk, but people still have in their mind frame that money is success or being famous is success, but it's not. It's like when people say, Oh, I was like famous. I said, Well, what do you mean? What, what do you, what's fame? What's fame mean? What's famous to you? It's like, well, you know, being recognized, I said, not much. To me, it was about being respected and 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 making a difference in someone's life. That is real success. So if you're talking about fame, that's just a fake word that people use to be recognized, which, you know, was never my drive and shouldn't be anyone's drive really. But unfortunately, probably would be majority of the world. You know, I'm probably yeah, a definitely. minority that thinks this, but social media hasn't helped. You know, so these Instagram posts of people flashing their tits and and, and flashing their biceps and all these people, then it's just like, what do you want? I think Ed Sheeran said, you know, he, he made a quote. I can't even remember the quote, so I won't quote him. But he, he felt sorry for the people that are posting up things consistently every day of, of their lunch or their this or their that. It's yeah. just like, come on. I mean, it's just, it's just hilarious to me that people need that acceptance acceptance in their life consistently. God, my, my biggest acceptance is cooking a meal, having my, my, my family go, oh, man, this is really nice. Simple. That's all you need to hear, though. You yeah. know, not, oh, I saw you on the news. Oh, my God, I saw you on TV. That's so fantastic. Oh, my God. I'm like. <laughs> I'm just a guy. I'm no one special. Doesn't mean anything. You know what I mean? So, you know, it's, it's a long road ahead, I guess, um, to convince people that simplicity is the key and just being happy within your own skin. But, you know, hopefully uh, people will realize that one day. You never know, but just, we'll see. It's an incredible perspective, mate, because, and I, is a key element of that because of your, your now father and having for the last three and a half years? No, I, I've, I've thought this for years, and I think it's because I started off when I was so young um, doing amazing gigs, orchestras with 80-piece orchestras to the shittiest gigs ever with a, a two-piece, you know what I mean? Like, this is when I was a kid. So I kind of got to the realisation, it's just like, well, I'm doing a show in front of 12,000 people right now, but now next week I'm doing a show in front of five people. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of like, and I, and I, the, what put, put it into perspective for me is like after that show with the five people, I enjoyed it more doing it for a smaller audience than I did for 12,000 people. Cause the okay. person right at the back can't bloody see you, you know, but that intimacy of having that smaller crowd, it's like, I enjoyed that more. I'm like, wow. So it's not to me about fame. It's not about being rec- having that recognition. It's about being respected and having that that feel of having to move someone or to have them appreciate you in some sort of way. You know, it just comes with experience, I guess. You know, the ones that work it out in an, in an early stage that about doing what they love are going to have a more prosperous life. They really are. Mm. Find find what you're passionate. It's really simple. Find what you're passionate about. Find what you love. Do it. If you get paid for that, you're winning. It's yeah. the best it's the best job in the world if you find something that you love that you're getting paid for that's that, that is it if you're unhappy in a job piss off if you're if you're not liking what you do in your life change it if you're not happy with someone then in a relationship that's treating you like absolute garbage you don't want to be with anymore don't be with them anymore yeah don't be around people that are going to bring you down do you think nathan do you ever think about legacy for example or what you'll leave behind one day in, in terms of maybe to your immediate family but i mean obviously i mean the word content gets thrown around a lot these days but you have obviously already created a legacy of content that will be there for generations and generations for to look back and, and listen to which is fantastic but do you think about how you want to be remembered uh you know there's only two two things that come to mind i just want to be remembered as a good son and I want to be remembered as a good father. Mm. And I, you know what? Husband as well. Why not? Chuck it in there. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, wife, you'll give me a backhand. Yeah, um, so no, I hope no. that's a soundproof room. <laughs> oh, she's she's gnawing through the through the wall already. Nah, she's good. Yeah, I, I've always strived to be a son. You know, my parents are getting older now. They're in their late 70s. So I want to be good to them. Know that I'm, you know, there's a lot of kids out there that are assholes to their parents, you know. Yeah. They're just horrible, horrible human beings. And there's people out there that shouldn't have never been parents. They treat their kids like crap. They don't raise them well. Once my parents go, God forbid, they don't anytime soon. But I want to be able to have that feeling that I, you know what? I was a good son. I looked after my parents till the day that they died. And the same thing when I passed, I want my son to go, you know what? My dad was awesome. He looked after me. He guided me. He talked to me. He communicated and he tried to influence me down the right path that's uh, that's the legacy that i really want to leave what's your son's name if you're jackson like- jackson so have you shown him the uh the collection of the albums that you know you're teaching him any high five dances or he does- uh, i tried a year ago he wasn't into it i think he was, <laughs> he was more into uh he's more into paw patrol and god help me i don't know why but back back then he was into blippy i'm like oh my god this is driving me crazy i was thinking <laughs> is this what the effect that we had on kids during high five parents like i'm not it's like anyway but no he uh he knows he knows the show he's seen it like i've got so many bloody merchandise in in my shed I'm trying to get rid of. And if you let me know if you want want it, it's all first hand. It's got tags on them and everything because we got we got given all the cl- a lot of the clothes and stuff back in the day. And like, oh I wow! Have, I don't I don't have a kid to give it to, so but now I do. But then he's growing up fast as well. So yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm looking at uh, wanting to get rid of those soon. Yeah, bet that's awesome. <laughs> um, I just want to quickly touch, and it's weird that we've we've had this conversation with a few of our guests recently regarding their parents, which is something we never really used to speak about, but. Were your parents musical, especially when you were growing up? Are they are they musical? Are they do that? Do they play instruments? Do they sing or or any or have any interest in performing arts? But also, when you did, 
how do they how do they perceive your career? Oh, uh, look, um, well, my my um, uh, my parents split when I was about two, two or three. Oh, so wow. my my mum and my stepdad raised me since I was five. Um, so my mum's just a housewife, and my dad's a uh, retired truckie. And my biological father, he worked in, he works in woodworks, you know, he's a handyman. So no, nothing from my industry whatsoever. I was wow. number one, but I heard that my uncle and my, my grandparents dabbled a little bit of in you know, amateur theater back in the day. But my, my mum had me a little bit later on in life. And then my mum's dad was older too. He was in his forties when my mum was born. So my grandfather served in both world wars. He was in one and two. Um, wow. enlisted underage and then he came back as an advisor in his 40s back uh, in world war ii or 30s but yeah um, he dabbled a little bit other than that no my mum my mum doesn't sing my dad doesn't sing yeah i'm the only one that just got into this industry but no my my, my folks are all very grounded people like they're you know salt of the earth people they don't they don't take any bullshit and they um if they ever saw that i was ever going to get a big head or everything which i never would but they would put me back in line quick smart so yeah. come from a hard-working family and you know they were very appreciative of and supportive of me driving me around everywhere when i was a kid to talent quests and and uh different things like that so yeah answer to your question what they thought of it though they, they wouldn't have cared they wouldn't care if i worked construction or whether i you know wanted to become a singer they would have been supportive of me regardless and that's probably yeah. why you know that I have views that I have today, like of success. My views of success are very different because of uh, you know them raising me. You you mentioned musical theatre. You've mentioned it a couple of times. My sisters, big musical theatre buffs, and and they're singers. And I come from a musical family as well. And that show, I was five, and you came third those few years ago. Yeah, like obviously musical theatre is something you've done in the past. Have you ever been tapped on the shoulder to get back involved in musical theatre? Because you would still be amazing in, in 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 that kind of industry. I, I I kind of rejected going for auditions after a while because once again I think they're looking for a certain kind of person, and I didn't feel like me. You know what I mean? Like the whole eight shows a week thing, mm-hmm. which I've done was consistently over and over and over and over and over again. It was just getting monotonous. I did Mamma Mia for twelve months, um, and Jerry Springer, the opera, did that at the opera house and wow. did uh, Grease on the Beach, played Kanicki and that. But it's just like, I've done music theatre, but it was never my yeah. go-to first passion. Not that I say I didn't enjoy it, but it wasn't my, oh, I need to do that show, I need to do this show. For me, it was more about songwriting and getting out there and doing my one-man cover show or going out there and doing my one-man um, original show. I wanted to have complete control. I'm not a control freak, might you add, but just having that freedom, like you said, you know, talking about the jobs you guys used to have and doing what you love to do now, it's it's, it's kind of part and parcel. Like I love doing it, but it's not my first choice or passion. So I'd rather get out there and and, and write and and be creative and do things that way instead. Tell you what, I wouldn't mind going and seeing one of these shows. I, t- I tell you what, I love that brown-eyed girl cover you do, Nathan, on your Instagram. It's fantastic. Oh, you saw that? Shit. Okay. Yeah. Well, funny <laughs> enough, you mentioned when you at the very start of the interview when you're naming all the uh, I don't know if they're frames or what you've got above you, where you're talking about all those singers. You said you guys probably haven't heard of many of them. Doss and I, we uh, must be where our friendship comes from or stems from because I too come from a musical family. But 
you know, we were probably born 30 years probably too late in terms of our musical oh, taste. So we love our uh, our 60s and 70s. So, uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind uh, getting to one of your your shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, man. Well, you guys are in Melbourne, though, aren't you? I'm on the Gold Coast now. You're on the Goldie. Yeah, so I'm kind of in between Byron and the Gold Coast on the coast there. And then D, he's uh, still in Melbourne. So, uh, But I'm loving it up here. It's beautiful. Oh, well, bloody weather's different, isn't it? Oh, massive, <laughs> massive difference. One of our questions we got from, from we put up a thing on Instagram yesterday, we got a bunch of questions and one of them was regarding I'll survive, but the other one was the voice. Their particular question did ask, you know, was that a something you chose or was that a tap on the shoulder too to, hey, come in and audition for this show? I was a few years of tapping. Um, I yeah. was not interested in I'm not a I'm not a massive fan of reality shows. Um, for the same reason earlier, I said reality shows are being famous for being famous. You know what I mean? It's not, you know, not saying all of it, but ninety good ninety percent of reality shows are just getting your face in. That's about it. You know, these married at first sight shows and things like that. So, oh my god. It's like it's just planned and charted out and scripted, and it's just all bullshit. You know what I mean? It's just people being famous for being famous. I just, I, I just can't watch them. Anyway, so with the voice, um, they contacted me for a few years on on Messenger, um, and I'm like, I'm just not interested. I don't, I don't want to do it. You know, I don't want to go out there and you know be a contestant on a show with all these twelve year olds. It's just like it's just a, that's what it felt like, you know. But then um, I went into Bunnings and this girl pretty much blatantly said, oh, I thought you were dead. Not literally, but musically, because <laughs> I haven't seen you on TV. I'm like, well, yeah, it's like I'm not on TV every single bloody day again. And I'm like, you know what? Stuff it. I'll go and do it just for the sake. Even if I'm on for one episode, I don't care. Just to get out and say, hey, I'm still alive. This is me. I'm still singing. I'm still out there. I'm still reasonably young. And this is me. And it, it, I was on for a few episodes and it did work in a good way. I mean, I didn't go there to win it. I knew I wasn't going to go out there and, and win something like that because, I was, as I said, competing against 21-year-olds that can be easily moulded, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So I went, but um, I got work out of it. I got a record contract out of it and that was it. Like it was, that, that was, that was the benefit of it all. And people went, oh, I didn't know you sang. I'm like, Bloody doing it for years now, but you know, um, but it, it was good in a way to go. Hey, look, I'm I'm still out there. I'm still performing, and um, I'm still very much active in, within the industry, just to generate work and to generate that feeling of going. Yeah, cool. Like I'm out there still. I see a couple of guitars in the background, and obviously, Hurricane came out. Was it last year that came out? Yeah, September. Actually, yeah, nearly a year ago. Um, it feels, it feels like two months ago. <laughs> I bet. It- I'm sure you do, but I would love to hear how often you still, you know, pick up a guitar or, or jump on a piano or, or write music. Do you do it every day or every No, week? you know what, I should. I have down days. I have up days. Sometimes when I'm just like, eh, I'm so tired today, I can't be bothered. Um, I don't I don't pick up a guitar, but sometimes I do. Sometimes I have the inspiration or I see something on TV and go, gee, that's 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 pretty inspiring. Or jump onto YouTube and I look back on, you know, the artists that do inspire me and go, you know what, I should. I should go back into my office here and, and you know, I've got my got my keyboard here, keyboard here, got the guitars up here, got another guitar in case here. I just just pull it out and just have a bit of a strum and, and write something. But um you've got to be I've got to be inspired. I I can't regurgitate music just for the hell of it. You know, once when I was told I had a record contract, they said, okay, Nathan, you've got to write us an album. I'm like, 
oh, all right. And all of a sudden, I just had the the tingles and the sparks went, do it. And see it. I was in my office every day and I wrote about, geez, over about 60, 60 songs for the album wow. straight off, like within a couple of months. Laid them all out, demoed them, sent them off to the producer and to my manager. And they said, okay, you probably don't have to write anymore. Um, <laughs> we've got enough here to sort through and we can have a chat about. And, um, and that was it. But not every day. I can't, you know, I've, I'm, it's more, I'm being time with the family and I don't want to be stuck here all day and have our three-year-old client, you know, and my wife pulling her hair out with our three-year-old. So got the different cape that I put on, the musical cape and then the dad cape. The, yep. the real the real superhero <laughs> cape. I was, how, to write what you would consider a song that you think that you're really happy with, how long does that process normally take for you? Ah, oh, dude, it's, it's, it's really random. Some songs have taken me 30 minutes. Wow. to write melody and lyrics and then others have taken me months yeah it just depends on the mood i'm in and as you know like uh, if you write a melody and a lyric that doesn't mean you can put it into any style of song it could be a country song a rock song a pop song a soul song a reggae song a jazz song it could be any type of song any melody and any lyric can fit into any genre of song. So it gets to the point where I'm like, what am I feel? What do I feel like today? Like when I wrote She Devil off the album, I was writing, I was, I was like just binging on in excess for like yeah. months at that time. I was just like, oh man. Cause I'll, you know, back in 87 when the kick came out, I was seven, six or seven years of age. So I wasn't really into it. I was more into Stevie Wonder and Michael Jackson and all that back then. But as an, you know, of my Australian music. And I was like, damn, this is good. Like I was a compilation of music. I was like, I'm like, oh, and all of a sudden this, this, I had this melody come in my head and, and this, this groove, like this riff came in my head for a guitar lick. I went, it's like, come on, this is like Michael Hutchins meets Michael Jackson. It's really yeah. daft kind of fusion. I'm like, okay. well, and I wrote that very quickly. That took me about, I think it was like an hour. It took me to write She Devil. Uh, I'm not going to show demos, but it's, um, <laughs> but then other songs have taken, like Hurricane, for instance. I wrote the verse for Hurricane probably eight, nine years ago. Wow. Actually, probably longer, probably over 10 years ago. And it sat there. I went, oh, I've got no inspiration. I don't know what to write about. I have no idea what the chorus is going to be. And it was no lyrics. It was just chords and melody. And then... And I started losing friends from mental illness and things like that. I went, um, it's like, I'll give you some time to get your thoughts together. And I went, okay, cool. And all of a sudden it was flowing. And I wrote that within a few days, you know, it was just coming out the chords when the chorus came and like, oh my God. So in answer to your question, like some songs can come out very fluently and very easy, but then other songs are a bit more of a challenge because either I'm not inspired or I don't know what I want to write about, or I'm just trying to regurgitate a song for the hell of regurgitating a song. But then some songs go, damn, like this is really easy to write because I know exactly what I want to say or I know exactly the musical influence that's 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 a part of me right now. And that that brings out the best in a songwriter, I think. Like yeah. Paul Paul McCartney, like a lot of his songs came to him in dreams. You know, for like Let It Be, for instance. I do I do that song in one of my cover shows. I'll do Let It Be and that came to fruition when he was he lost his mother when he was about 14 years yeah. of age. Anyway, as an adult man, his mother was in the dream and his mother walked up to him in this dream and said, told him, let it be, like, let it go. She said, let it be. And that's how we came up with the title of the song, let it be. That's crazy. We're big yeah. And um, yeah, it's, 
Uh, Dave, do you have the big Beatles? Where's the Beatles print? You meant to have it on the wall. Yeah, it's actually, I've got to get it back out. It's, uh, it's, there's a, I've got a big print downstairs because we moved house recently. So there's a big one downstairs. I got to, I got to get it. I don't know if you can see there's a piano there. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah. There. Yeah. I've got uh, my yeah. phone, I've got my phone leaning up against my laptop because it's got a little torch. So, because it's very dark in here because the lights are down lights. So I put my phone. Yeah. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Just so you can bloody see. So I'll move it to the, yep, I can see it's nice. Yeah. So who's the key, who's the keyboard player? Well, I, I used, well, I grew up in a house. So a bit of background, my, my mum, she was actually, she's an opera trained singer. Oh, uh, I, don't, I don't know if that's the right terminology. So she was in the Melbourne yeah, Opera yeah. For, for a while. Well, class, and Classically trained, opera, operatic. Classically opera, trained. Yeah. That's the correct yeah. term. And my sister's a bit like Doss's sisters. They're, they're, more musical theater buffs and then um my dad has no musical talent he won't mind me saying that but he but his <laughs> uncle i don't know if this name means anything to you nathan but it was a guy named matt munro who yes was a, yes yeah famous crooner in england so um, yeah, it, it was, never be a portrait of my life. exactly yeah, yeah. there you go so um that's that's a bit in our family by the way have you been to liverpool have you been to the cabin club i have and, i yeah? actually hung out with the brother to one of the original beatles wow yes which one? Uh, the first, the original drummer. Oh, cool. Yeah, Pete Best, his brother. What was the band right. they played in? Yeah, because I, I hung out with Pete Best and his brother Rogue around the UK for a little bit. And Pete's a lovely, lovely man. He was talking about the story about the Beatles and how it was just a massive confusion because they got Ringo in just to do a session. Yeah. And then they started doing publicity and then someone mixed up the 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 whole thing and go, oh, so you're the Beatles drumming? Go, yeah, yeah, like that. So they started taking photos of him with the guys and they're like, oh, it was just a muck up. So, but Pete's humble about it. He says, oh, yeah, they screwed up, but, you know, I'm happy. And then Rogue and Pete went off because Pete's pretty old now. Um, but Rogue took me out to the, the club in Liverpool and took me to the Cavern Club and we hung out and stuff, had a Amazing. few beers and... Yeah, he was he was really cool, very eccentric, very very cool dudes. But um, yeah, so yeah, I've been to Liverpool quite a few. We went there when I was in High Five too. We did a, we did a show, we did concerts there for the kids, and because uh, High Five was pretty, pretty massive in the UK, we uh, went over there and and did the shows, and then back there hung out with Rogue and Pete. So that's unreal. Yeah, Liverpool's a pretty cool place. Yeah, we went. Um, we took the podcast there about two years ago. We went oh, to nice Liverpool and. Um, we interviewed Landa Charles. She's a bass player. Um, she played for Robbie Williams and Mick Jagger and a couple of others. And we went to um, what? What's the bar called? Oh gosh, you put me on the spot. It's uh, the Jazz Bar in London. Very, very famous. Uh, it escapes me. Uh, Ronnie Scotts. Ronnie Scotts. I've heard of it. I have heard of it. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've never been there though. Well, next time you get over there, you'll definitely have to you'll definitely have to check it out. It's, uh, it was incredible, wasn't it, Doss? Best musical experience I've ever ever been to. Yeah. Wow, sounds cool. <laughs> oh, we could keep talking music all day, couldn't we, Dad? Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. It's good. It's good topic. Um, as we finish, and I, you know, I know you don't want to be remembered as the high five guy, but oh, well, I'm the, I, I don't apologize for my past. Neither should anybody apologize for what they do or what they're going to do. You know what I mean? Just don't have any regrets. I, you know, it might have been hard when I left, and you know, trying to find myself all over again. But I'm never going to apologize for it. it was a part of my, my life as i said it was the biggest thing for me now you know seeing adults in front of me saying that it did mean something to them so i'm trying to live my life with no regrets and it's definitely i don't see high five as a regret so don't ever don't ever think that <laughs> what were your three what go on your three favorite songs that you, that you loved performing 
high five or in, in general? Yeah, high five. Uh, dude, I mean, we did 10 seasons at nine songs of the week per season. So that's 90 songs of the week and probably thousands upon thousands of segment songs. So I couldn't tell you, man. Um, what two that come to mind is one, I think it might be on the second or third album, was a song called Special Days. So every day is a special day going out because we're uh, going out down, down. It's like a punk rock kind of thing. I liked it. So they're the ones that come to mind. But it was, I'd have to say, out of all the songs that are performing for High Five, I think the Christmas songs would have been the best. You know, they, they they held much more of a special moment in my life because of the live entertainment of going to the, the Sydney Maya Music Bowl. You know, it was you were talking about yeah. that earlier and. And uh, performing Christmas songs, I think that was that was a beautiful moment. It's awesome. Well, though that that especially that Christmas album, Nathan. I don't think it matters how old we'll ever get. Especially, and I know Doss is the same in our household. It gets a run uh, every year whenever the whenever the siblings are together. So it uh, it'll live on forever in our household. So uh, yeah, oh, honestly, big thank you for for sharing some time with us tonight. It's oh, been pleasure, awesome to pleasure. um to chat with you. I'm, I actually really do hope. I'll get to see you uh, perform live because yeah, be well, awesome. I'm hoping so too. But I'll let you guys know if I'm if I'm. Are you are you up in Queensland on a holiday or are you you? Um, I'm living up here and Daniel's here every month so to record the podcast. ah, you poor buggers. Yeah, yeah. What a what a horrible oh, perk right. of the job. Have I'll, to go. I'll let I'll let both of you know if I'm doing a gig in in you know Queensland, one in uh, one in Victoria. I'll let you guys know. Uh, we'll, we'll be there and uh, well, are you going to try get down for Paul McCartney in Melbourne. Oh, I didn't even know he was down there. Is he going uh, down there? Yeah, October, I think. Oh, God. I thought I'd be away. I'll see. Uh, oh, well. <laughs> All across Australia, Dave. Uh, oh, I thought it was just a Melbourne show. There you go. I'm in Brisbane. I'm going to try and go. Yeah. yeah. He's still got the chops. He's in his 80s. He's still got the chops, isn't he? I saw him last time he was here, and he was, yeah. I mean, that was five years ago, and he played for over three hours and was pretty unbelievable. So, um, yeah, I'll definitely mm. be going again. But... Nate, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. You know, where can we find you? Where can we listen to your music? Where can we keep updated for upcoming tours? Yeah, look, as I said, I'm not a big social guru, but look, I've got, I do have social pages. So go to um, Nathan Foley Official on Instagram. And if you want to find out about things coming up, go to NathanFoley.com. And if you want my album, it's on Spotify and iTunes. It's called Hurricane. It's, um, I'm super proud of it. Um, it's good. It's a good, uh, it's a good car album. Crank it up in your car. So love live it. band, it's got live instruments on it. It's just it's not all programmed shit. So go and let me listen. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Nathan. We appreciate you. Thanks, oh, fellas. Yeah, you're right. No worries. Have a good have a good weekend. You too. You too. See you fellas. Dee, wasn't that episode just awesome? Oh mate, I got so much out of it. I'm sure you did too. And of course, thank you to everyone who listened. Guys, if you haven't already, go and subscribe to the podcast over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For sure. And please leave us a five-star review on Apple. It goes such a long way to helping the show. And of course, you have your chance to get a shout out. Don't forget to go and follow us over on Instagram as well. What's the Instagram, Dee? It's at D underscore. D-O-S-A-N-D-D underscore. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you in the next episode.